And welcome to another episode of Talk Go for Buckets. I'm Luke Buer. Hey, and this is Ryan James driving north on 169. Hands free, baby. Hands free. <laughs> I'm so proud of you that you are, you know, in compliance with the uh, government regulations. Um, really, really proud of you. Heck yeah. Like, instead of listening to some goofy, serious radio show, I'm talking to you. Yeah. And I like that. I'm very compliant. It's nice. To have your hands free when you're driving. Yeah, so I, sh- I should say uh, uh, we should apologize because I think we recorded two episodes before the season and now the season is effectively over with the exception of the Big Ten tournament. Um, I-, I think there are many excuses that I could come up with. I'm going to blame almost all of it on my child. Um, you're also yeah. a very busy man, but uh, yeah, we, we kind of failed. But you know what? You still found a way to start another podcast, which is very good. Um, you, you and you and uh, Marcus Fuller, which I appreciate. You guys were able to fill the void that we've kind of left, but um, but we'll we'll keep doing this. I think we'll find another rhythm now that my son is uh, getting a little bit older. Oh, that's good. You know, as much as I enjoy the Talk Doors podcast, it's like it's short. You know, and like there's there's only the Talk Over buckets that allows us to do like the Aaron Gleeman and John Bonus style, <laughs> like. It, Extensive chat conversation. Yes. yes. So. All right. So let's get into this season. I think the A topic, and it's it's the A, B, and C topic. People are wondering, you know, what is the state of Richard Pitino? Um, you know, I I don't think that the Gophers probably. I think a lot of people had higher expectations than I did. I didn't have terribly high expectations of them. Um, but here, here we sit, uh, a team that's you know below 500, um, played a really tough non-conference schedule, uh, didn't fare very well. Um, but here we are, and and you know Big Ten wise, where did they end up? Eight and twelve. Uh, not not maybe what the expectations people have after making the tournament two out of three years. You know, I think I let myself. My expectations were at first were kind of were kind of lower. As a matter of fact, when we did like the all media um, Big Ten preview stuff, and when we turned in our stuff for the the Big Ten voters, like the twenty four Big Ten voters that you know for the, the voting crew that voted for the media today, the all Big Ten media, yeah. when we turned that stuff in. I was in the ninth to tenth area, but like I let myself after watching Caden Willis play, after watching Marcus Carr play in, with their previous team. And like kind of looking at things with with the scrimmage, I let myself into an, a situation where I thought the team basketball was going to be excellent, and therefore, like I I kind of let myself get into that seventh eighth area, but I think that was kind of a thought process of of everything working. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, at that point, I didn't you know Eric Curry was already kind of torn ACL. Right. I it's like I wrote about this today and get Gopher Illustrated. There are things that I didn't quite expect to happen. I thought, I mean, we didn't think Mark, like, Gabe Kelsher was going to shoot 29.9% from three in Big Ten play. We just no. didn't expect that. And I thought that Richard Pitino would, would use his bench a little bit more. I thought he'd let some of them grow, and that didn't happen. And then the next thing you know, we got guys playing 37, 38 minutes. And I don't believe it's a coincidence at the end of the year, the, team, the, the Gopher team that had guys playing the full game all of a sudden ran out of gas and made bad decisions and missed free throws at the end of the game. I don't think that's a coincidence. No. I think that's an end result of guys who are on the court all game, every game for the entire season, struggling at the end, struggling at the finish line. 
Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I think that, um, you know, the fact of the matter is that, you know, you look at you look at the three guys up top, Oturu, Marcus Carr, and Gabe Kalisher, they all logged over a thousand minutes, which is like how many guys average more than 30 minutes a game? Not a, not a ton. You maybe have one, maybe two guys, but the fact that they're, they're logging three and then you've got Peyton Willis averaging 30 as well, like that is, that is either somebody who is coaching for their job uh, or alternatively like just has no trust in his bench. And, and frankly speaking, I mean, that probably points back to him, right? The fact that he wasn't able to get guys or his unwillingness to play certain guys. Like you and I have talked at length, like how, how does a guy not play Michael hurt more minutes? Right? Like I, I never could quite understand that. I know that he, he wasn't a phenomenal um, de- individual defender that some people will point at, but like, frankly speaking, he shot 35% from three, like that's as good as Peyton Willis, right? It's much smaller sample size. Don't get me wrong, but he, he had a better overall shooting percentage. I, I just think that, I think that there's one guy that could have played more. Um, but you know, you, they just played, they just didn't trust the bench at all. No, there, there wasn't any trust with the bench at all. I, and nobody, the only guy who consistently night to night knew what he was going to play minutes-wise was off the bench was Trey Williams. Yeah. Jarvis Omerso, you could see it. At the end of the year, he started to look over his shoulder with every mistake. And every mistake he's made, out you go. You know, that was Michael Hurt's story for his, you know, when he was younger. And this year he got DNPs. It was nice that Isaiah Innit came along. You know, for he's sure. kind of a side story in, in itself. And that's something we can get to at a later point here. Um, but he developed through the year, and I think that's a positive. It's just he was the only guy at the end of the year that you could really rely on consistently. And th- I, that is my whole frustration with kind of the season. You don't need to play those bench guys 20 minutes, but I think that they have to feel comfortable and confident that they can play 10 to 12 minutes each night, eight mm-hmm. to nine minutes, and they know their role. When they When they don't know that, there's no comfort. And when you don't have – and there's nothing developed there. He just coached the team and didn't have any trust in them. And then you just go back to the quick jerk. Marcus Carr, you're on the floor 38 minutes. Daniel Turner, you're on the floor 36 minutes. Gabe, you're playing 37. And it just wears down. And I, I just don't think that's a formula for success. Sure, last year I worked with Amir Coffee. It did. but And they did have some success with that. But it was not successful this year. And to me, that's the biggest reason that down the stretch they – Gave away games to Iowa. Gave away a game to Maryland. Gave away a game to Purdue. To, uh, Indiana. And gave away a game to Purdue. Dude, the Maryland was crazy. When you really look back at that, yeah. the way they lost that game is just absolutely wild. Yeah, I mean, uh, likewise with likewise with Illinois, or I mean, not Illinois, sorry, Iowa and Purdue, both of those. I think one of the things that I saw you touch on in Gopher Illustrated today, which I thought was real, r- really wise, was I mean, it's not just physical; it's also mental, right? And I think the Purdue oh, game, the, the Purdue game encapsulates that greatly. Specifically, like Marcus Carr, he he, you know, on the season he had a he had a fairly solid assist to turnover ratio, two hundred and two assists to eighty one turnovers. But at the end of that game, like terrible, it was terrible against Purdue and you know part of that could go to fatigue I don't have the numbers pulled up right now but I mean that was just awful well there also wasn't a comfort at the end of games I'm gonna the one play that I always think to there's there's one series and one play like obviously there was a lot of end of game situations where Marcus Carr just had the ball and it was just like do something 
you know, the, the play, I, I think it was the Maryland game. I can't be, somebody's just starting to run together, um, especially after it's been a while. Right. But there was a play where Marcus Hart tried to uh, move the ball from the left wing to the right wing. And one, they just, nobody, the ball went out of bounds. And this is down the stretch because the, the wing was too far away. And then they got the, uh, the post, I think it was the foreman, it was popping up. It just didn't get to the ball. Like he, he just threw it in nowhere. And that was one of those situations where it was kind of like, I'm not sure what to do and I'm not comfortable. And then the Daniel O'Toole play against Wisconsin. I love where he touched the ball. I love how they got him the ball. Kudos to Richard Pitino for that. But then once the ball was in Daniel's hands, he didn't look com- like he didn't look comfortable like he normally does. Usually Daniel attacks, it's reactionary, it's quick, it's fluid, and it's a bucket. In that situation, he didn't look comfortable. And that is where the mental fatigue comes in. You know, like and he made a move to left and you know, he wasn't there, came back to the right, wasn't there, got blocked. Some people would say he got fouled. <laughs> you know, we got a lot of topics that we're just kind of throwing here at once. But yeah. like was he fouled? Was he not? In the first half, that wasn't a foul. In the second half, that wasn't a foul. I wouldn't have called it. But that comes all back to late game mental fatigue, physical fatigue. It just that to me that is where this season went haywire. Yeah. I, I, well, that in the fact that that in the fact that they lost four games in November. That you know that 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 was the other part that hurt. Yeah, and I think the other thing that you know I. I... I didn't hear Patino a lot. Like I didn't listen to the radio show a lot. I didn't hear him speak in the media a ton, but like, if we're really honest, this was a very young team, right? Um, Effectively, the only guy that logged significant serious minutes that was an upperclassman was Alihan Demir, right? Um, like, you know, your core is basically sophomores and freshmen. Otherwise, um, I, oh, I, I apologize. I, I guess um, Peyton Willis is a, is a junior as well. But, you're, you know, you're, you're very much a pretty young squad. And then that, that further compounds the fact that I was surprised that they didn't try and develop guys on the bench, um, especially early in the season, you know given that given that you know they were losing games like not saying that you throw in the towel maybe that's why they started playing major minutes for certain guys but um you'd think that they try to develop some guys a little bit more but i mean that's a that's a decision that patino made and you know it probably is going to either sink or sink or have him get another year i I think ultimately he's probably going to get fired from the university of minnesota at some point i'm not saying it's going to be this year but um you know, at some point, he just hasn't had enough sustained success uh, in a number of facets for people. You know, when it comes to Coach Patino's job, like right now, there's no definitive answer. I think you just have to go about your day thinking Richard Patino's the head coach. You can be frustrated with parts. There are parts of things that Richard Patino has done very well. Um, but the problem, the fact of the matter is the, the end line, the final result, is that University of Minnesota has been the NCAA tournament twice in seven years, barring a miracle this week at the Big Ten tournament. The University of Minnesota has been the NCAA tournament six times in 21 years. Some people with that six and 21 would point out that's why Richard Pitino should stay. We should, they should have, they should, he should be allowed to develop continuity. He should develop, be allowed to develop his program past these seven years. And there are things about Richard Pitino that make him a really good basketball coach. He has his positives, of course. But then again, on the other side, other people say he's had seven years. Let's see what can happen next. What I'm hearing every day seems to be something different. And the reason I haven't put anything on Gopher Illustrated that is this is what I think is going to happen is because I don't think there's really an answer. Like, I came into Sunday thinking to myself, you know, oh, man, the crowd is terrible. If they don't get any momentum, the crowds are going to get terrible. 
like they did when, when Tommy Smith was head coach at the end of his uh, end of his tenure. But then, I, as I'm hearing people talk at the University of Minnesota when I was there on Sunday for Senior Day, and I mean I was there from like 10:30 till four o'clock, and you talk to different people that are there, people that work at the University of Minnesota, people that are connected to the University of Minnesota, you talk to these people, and so I'm saying I have to decipher every conversation with, you know, what do they know? Was what they're telling me, you know, something I should take into account as serious. And if they're telling me these things, they're people that want to talk. Therefore, they, they might not be deep deep into the University of Minnesota enough to be worried about their job. So they may not yeah. know. But like, as I walked into my car yesterday, all I had heard was, Mr. Coach Patino has all the trust in the world with athletic director Mark Boyle, and he's going to be the coach next year. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. That's, I understand. That makes sense. That's what I heard yesterday. And then today you hear, like I, I talk to college coaches and the college coaching rumor mill is basically like a middle school hallway <laughs> when it comes to rumors. Like you hear one thing and that thing translates into a lot of different information. So you can't trust it extensively, but I'm telling you right now, the college, college basketball coach rumor mill of adults, they all think that some a change is going to happen. So <laughs> there you go. Like, Right now, there I haven't heard anything concrete enough to say, "Hey, this is what I really truly believe will happen." I, there's just nothing there. Mm-hmm. Um, what should I think should happen? Like, I, I think there's just for me, what I think should happen is Richard Seymour's got to sit down with Mark Coyle, and they got to make a decision where things are going forward. Where how are things going on the court? Player development wise, this bad is this good? This bad is this good? Recruiting wise, is this bad is this good? If they recruiting wise, is this bad is this good? Spring recruiting is this bad is this good? Nationalized recruiting, yada yada down the line. I think they need to iron that out together, see where they're at, come up with a plan with what goes forward. That's where I'm at with it right now. Now you yourself had just said you think he's going to get fired at some point, like so. I think I know where Luke Buer is <laughs> at, at with things now. I think you know he's looking at his own hot board. Yeah, Me, myself. <laughs> Well, I should let you defend yourself. Well, I don't, I don't think I'm looking at my own hot board, but I, I think ultimately, like, in, in this day and age, I mean, it's very rare that a coach is is not going to get fired, right? So it's not that I necessarily think he's going to get fired this year, um, but I think ultimately he'll get fired at some point. Uh, that or he'll leave. Like, he's been rumored to leave a number of times. It, you know, it wouldn't surprise me, given all the heat he's got this year, if he if he's able to translate it into another high major job. You know, he was rumored to go, I forget, like Boston College at one point, couple other places um you know it it's very rare that somebody leaves on their own accord unless they're leveling up i think given his resume at this point it would be hard for him to level up i think more than likely he it's a lateral move um maybe even a move down i doubt he'd take a move down at this point i mean he's arguably in the best conference in the country right now right um it it arguably can't get much better than that other i mean some might say the acc but otherwise he really can't get to the a better into a better conference you know just given the big 10 network money that is brought into the big 10 um but you know but the the situation is i think he'll get fired at some point unless he moves on his own accord you know two years ago we all kind of thought that was going to happen it didn't you know he came back in year six and he had a good year six they won a game there was a tough stretch in there but overall at the end of the year last year, there was, you know, last year there was some of the same conversation going on yeah. during a losing streak. 
but then they turned it around and had a great end of the year. Now, let's say this. <clears throat> if Daniel Turo walks to a podium tomorrow and says, I love the University of Minnesota, I'm coming back here. Like, he could save everybody right there, because imagine that team next year, mm-hmm. adding, you know, everybody's a year older, Jamal Mashburn's on the team, they're at a spring recruiter or two, and you're off. Now, like, yeah. you could go. But I, I personally think, and no, there's no knowing, no, like nobody knows what Daniel's going to do. There again, there are rumors, but rumors like I've had a few guys. Oh, I've heard from this agency. I've heard from this coach that this Daniel's going to leave. Blah blah blah. Nothing concrete. Right. Nothing concrete has to happen. But you know, if you're Daniel, you probably got to go. But you know, but back to Coach Patino, it's year seven. They've missed five years in five years. He's going to enter next year if he comes back. Those college basketball magazines on the hot seat, he's going to be on that list, on the short list all the time. And I think he, he knows that. I think he's aware of that. You know, the crowds next year, if Daniel Truro doesn't come back, I don't think they're going to be that high, barring a recruiting, you know, pull that grabs the entire fan base. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, he's going to be up against it. He's going to have need to have a good year next year. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely going to have to have a good year. Um, anything else you want to touch on that? We Otherwise, we probably should talk a little bit about Oturu. I mean, that that is like probably topic A as soon as as soon as the gopher season is over, whether or not he's going to declare for the NBA draft. And quite frankly, man, like it, it, as high as his stock is right now, he's not going to get any younger. You, you, if I'm him, you basically got to go. And then this way he can kind of turn around and say, hey, I got snubbed from the first team, all Big Ten, but guess what? Don't worry, I got picked higher than all of you, and I'm going to make a lot more money than all of you. There, there is, like, if you run through that list, the only, the only guy, like Luke Garzain up there on the NBA draft, Stevens, you know, it's like right now, Daniel Turo is that guy that would get drafted. Now, you look at the NBA draft boards right now, you got no idea. Some of them no. don't even have him listed. Like two or three have him in the first round. NBA draft net, who seems to love Minnesota players whenever they can get attached to one, <laughs> has them super high. <clears throat> yeah, they so have him like, like they have him seventh to Charlotte, which is wild. But they're they're also that, usually one of the better ones. I love Daniel Turo. I just don't know that. He's gonna be. I like, agree. I, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't heard that he's gonna be top ten. But at the same time, I think he'll be a first round draft pick. I think he has that level of talent, and I think he'll go this year. And I think you have to, as a fan, you kind of have to plan on it. Like this is <laughs> this is my gonna be my analogy of the day. You have to plan on Daniel Turo as if you're like a 16 year old planning on getting a nice car from your parents for Christmas, like. <laughs> Don't expect that to happen. Don't yeah. expect him to come back. But you know what? If they shock you, if they shock you and all of a sudden you've got a car in the driveway, like, okay, then be surprised if that happens. But don't get your hopes up because it's probably not going to happen that right. fact. That's where I'm kind of, I'm, I'm planning on the next year is with their front court, Eric Curry, please, I hope you have your chance to play next year. You Me deserve too. it. Yeah. You know, Isaiah Inan, you're probably the power forward that's starting next year. I love that you have the guts to take shots, maybe take one or two, you know, bad shots out of your game. You know, your defense is much improved. Still got to tighten up in areas after you've been on the court for three minutes defensively. But I think next year, I'm confident enough to say that Isaiah Inan can be that that power, that power forward starter. Who's going to be in the middle? Well, 
hopefully it's Eric Curry and they go small. Um, I don't, I don't, Sam Freeman, there's no confidence in me next year that he's going to be able to give much. Right. Maybe next year he gives them a few minutes. Um, Marquise Mitchell, I think you have to prepare for Marquise Mitchell the same way you prepared for Isaiah Enan next year. At first, you can't expect too much because he's raw and has to learn. Mm-hmm. As the year goes on, maybe a little bit more, and then you can expect more as he gets to, and you can expect the big stuff when he's a junior. I, I think it's going to take time for Marquise Mitchell, mm-hmm. though. And Jarvis O'Mersa, he's just, you know, I, I was excited for a while, but at the end of the year, he just looked very unconfident. But yes, he's going to be a part of things next year, too. Let's just hope he takes steps forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there are definitely going to be some holes in this roster, but you know, in the in the same respect, one thing that Pino has been pretty good at is he has been a pretty good short window recruiter, as you kind of coined that term. I think it was last year, maybe two years ago. Um, so I wouldn't put I wouldn't put him past him that he could find someone to maybe shore up some of that. I'm not saying it's going to be amazing, but it might be on it might be on the level of Alihan Demir, who you know, argue what you want. He 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 played a ton of minutes. Um, maybe wasn't amazing, but you know that was a spot they were able to fill after the Curry injury. Um, imagine where they would have been if they wouldn't have gotten him. You know, if they don't have Isaiah, you're in big trouble. Or excuse me, Ali Han Demir, you're in big trouble. Right. Isaiah wasn't ready. Eric Curry was out. Ali Han, like he rebounded where I expected him to. He averaged four or five boards a game. Yep. You know, you come from Drexel, you average six boards a game. You're not coming into the Big Ten and collecting more than you did at Drexel. Right. So, like, what he did on the glass, I was thought, I actually thought he was a better position defender than I was expecting. He was just nowhere near physical as a defender. Right. Like, he was in position, but he could get he could get punked on the glass, punked for position. That That is where I... And then Alihan obviously shot a lower percentage than we expected. It, it, I was not expecting double figures from him. I was expecting about four baskets a game on average. He, he turned out to give you, you know, three, 6.5 points a game. So he was short percentage-wise of where that was. But if you didn't have him as a grad transfer, they would have been in trouble. And that's what people, I think, have to understand with grad transfers. You are not getting a grad transfer that is going to win you six more games. Right. You're filling gaps with grad transfers. Mm-hmm. Like, a team springs, I think Minnesota people got to, got to be like, that is not normal. Akeem Spring is not your normal grad transfer. He stepped in and filled a great role defensively and as a shooter. But like what, what Khalid Smith did as a shooter here and there, Ali Demir did, those are the grad transfers. They're filling gaps. Mm-hmm. It's not, yeah, it's not, those grad transfers can't be expected to be when you're top two, three players. These guys are filling gaps. And Ali did that, although I, I thought he was going to shoot better and fill that gap a little bit more as a power forward score, giving you four buckets a game. Instead, he gave you about a little over three, and that's where the percentage is. Yeah, I mean, he he had this kind of like old school game, right? Like almost like a noon basketball player, where it was like he he was wildly deceptive at times, but then the athleticism would just overcome him at times. And then what what it really came down to for for me was, you know, he he only shot he he took a ton of threes. He took fifty one threes in the season, only made twenty one percent, which to me was very 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 surprising. And still, even on twos, you know, not not particularly great as well. He was only on. I don't have it in front of me, but he, I'm not going to do the math in my head, but he was 41% overall, which isn't 
putrid, but it's not great. Um, not everybody can be Daniel Oturu and shoot 56% from the field, you know, and shoot yeah. 34% from three. I mean, that, and that's part of the reason why he, he is a pro prospect is like, and, th- and this is the thing that I can't understand why he wasn't, all, you know, first team all conference. I understand that they're probably getting weighed down by the fact that the Gophers didn't have a great record, but that alone is a function of, if you look at their roster makeup, this guy had to take a ton of shots. He's playing the center position, which is not like, this is still a guard oriented game. And he's finding a way to shoot 56%, 30, 34% from three, almost 70% from the line, average 20 points and 11 boards. And that's not good enough to be all, all team first or all conference first team. I, it, it just boggles my mind. Like wh- how many times have guys put up those numbered numbers and not been able to get first team all conference? You know, I've been listening to a lot of conversations about the all big 10 team. And I've seen some some kind of some wild takes, like what people said about the other players that made it. And I, I'm sitting here accusing us, and I'll get to this in a second. I'm accusing other people of kind of throwing some wild homer takes from Minnesota. But I don't think my take that Daniel O'Toole got absolutely hosed and screwed out of getting an all-Big Ten honor is a homer take. The dude averaged 20 some a game with 11 boards. He went at every guy in the Big Ten and had success, with the exception of Trace Jackson Davis. The only guy in the Big Ten who slowed Daniel Oturu was Trace Jackson Davis, and it wasn't Trace Jackson Davis. It was the Indiana size and the Indiana game plan that slowed Daniel Oturu. It was Trace Jackson Davis, Joy Bronk, and Indiana that slowed Daniel Oturu. The rest of the league, Daniel Oturu put it on everybody. Now, there was times like where Daniel and the team got scored on by those other players, most definitely. Like Luke Garza got his against Minnesota. You know, there were other guys that put up numbers against Minnesota, without a doubt. But Daniel put it on them. Daniel Truro is the first team. As a matter of fact, yesterday, excuse me, I turned my Big Ten ballot in for the media behalf. I'm one of the 24 people that vote on that. I turned mine in thinking, okay, Lou Garza, player of the year. Uh, Cassius Winston, even though defensively, you might as well stay on the other end. Right. Like, he, he's on there. And I'm all, I'm all on the Eru Dansumu train as being on the first team. He was injured, and that's why some people weren't sure. He deserved to be there. And Jalen Smith. I've heard a lot of Minnesota people say, Jalen Smith shouldn't have been there. Jalen Smith, to me, was the second most deserving. Mm-hmm. The only reason locals don't think he should have been there is because they watched him play terrible against Minnesota. But Jalen Smith was the guy for much of the year who was in the running against Lou Garza for player of the year. Now, that didn't shake out if Maryland struggled down the stretch. But, like, nationally, Lou Garza is being talked about as the national player of the year. And that frustrates me as a two-way basketball guy because Luke Garza ain't any good defensively either. He's just phenomenal offensively. And that's where I had like some hesitation with like him being the player of the year, but like he was the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. Therefore, but where I don't understand is where Stevens from Penn State and Anthony Cowan from Maryland get on over Daniel Latrue. To me, that's absolute insanity. 
Yeah, I, I wonder, like, the one th- the one thought I had about Stevens in particular, they were rewarding a guy that came back, right? And, and accomplished something that hasn't been accomplished at Penn State in who knows how long, right? Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe you can make that argument. But for me, like, what Oturu did as a sophomore and the jump he made and, you know, like, just, just imagine Penn State without Stevens and Minnesota without Oturu. It's night and day. Like Penn State's just an all-around better team, and don't don't take it away from Minnesota. They beat that Penn State team and probably should have won that game at Penn State as well, right? Like I don't know. It's just it, it's whatever. It, I mean, we're arguing about kind of dumb <laughs> stuff. I think at the end of the day, Oturu has gotten snubbed twice now by the Big Ten. Once as a freshman, not making the All Freshman Team, which was ridiculous, and then now as as uh, as a sophomore, not not making first team when he was very clearly a first teamer. So, Luke, is that because, like, we are just in Minnesota watching them every single game and, like, maybe we don't appreciate some of these other guys? Or is it because Minnesota's reputation in the media and with the other coaches, it, like, maybe is that because the program status is what it is? Is there just not enough respect for Minnesota to the point where everyone's just like, huh? Daniel Drew don't deserve it. They're in 12th place. I mean, is that where this is coming from? Because yeah. I would be shocked. The only people that, like, let's say you're on one of these other, you're a media member of college coach from, other, from these other teams. The only team where I can look at the media and the coaches and say, yeah, you want Daniel Drew to play not well, and that's Indiana. Like, if Indiana, he was low on their votes, I could get that because that's what they were watching. But I- that's how people around here are keen treated Jalen Smith from Maryland. But, like, I don't know. Like, I don't understand why else they wouldn't put Daniel there. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, I mean, and I would argue, you know, like, I do think that Indiana probably did one of the best jobs against Daniel all season. But, you know, at Indiana, he put up 24 in, like, 13 or something. Like, he still had a pretty solid game. Well, 24 and 16, but he was 11 of 27. Yeah, he, he efficiency wise, he was way down. That's that's a very good point. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm with you. Like, who are the best two players in this conference? If you if you're trying to look at the best two basketball players, my opinion, it's Aturu and Jalen Smith. I don't think there's any question. I think they're the two. They're the, probably the two best pro prospects. I I don't even I know that he struggled against. The name is escaping me from Indiana right now, uh, Jackson Davis. But like Jackson Davis is a good player, but I don't think he's nearly. I don't think he's nearly as good as Jalen Smith. Like I think Jalen Smith, or two probably have the, in my opinion, the best pro prospect careers. Uh, the question, yeah. the, the question for me is whether or not Oturu can continue to develop a, a more of a perimeter-oriented game because the NBA is basically a perimeter-oriented game. We, you and I, had this text conversation about this recently. Like, is is Oturu more of a Nas Reed or is he, he more of a Jaleel Okafor? Because Jaleel Okafor, his game totally got lost in the NBA because he can't play from the perimeter. You're you're correct, and like I just like. You look at Nasri, Nasri can shoot the smack out of the ball. Like, but at the same time, both those players you just mentioned, Daniel Oturu moves better than both. I agree. But, but he's not as big as they are. Right. You know what I mean? He's not as big as they are. Dan, I think Daniel has developed a shooting touch way faster than I ever expected. Agreed. But for me, the thing about Daniel that separates is his face-up wonderful attack moves. Like, I think he's phenomenal in that regard, and I also think his motor's there. 
um, with the, a couple other things about Daniel. Where I think Daniel got hurt in the coach's vote is the extensive minutes that he played. Daniel Oturu had a lot of half-court defensive mistakes at the end of the season. Sure. Like, he did not – he was, like, as, as he got tired, Daniel didn't get to his help as much. He didn't get to his box outs as much. And there were costly plays. Mm-hmm. I, I remember talking about it on Gopher Illustrated here and there. Now, that's also going to happen when you barely come off the floor. Right. You know, it's, and, you, and it also is going to happen when you get frustrated, which is where the mental fatigue comes in. So maybe that's where the coaches thing is at. And I think the media is just because they were 12th and they didn't, they, they just didn't give it to them. Right. But as far as Daniel O'Toole's prospect is concerned, when Daniel has more core strength, like the Purdue game is what I'm thinking about. Those big dudes and Michigan State. Michigan State, he had a hard time stopping those guys from mm-hmm. denying him over the top. But when Daniel gets more core strength, like I think he's going to be even better. Mm-hmm. And when I think he's in positions in the NBA to face up and shoot, I think the percentages are going to be pretty good, especially when Daniel spends every single day working on his craft with mm-hmm. NBA coaches and, and NBA trainers. Yeah, no, I, I'm with I'm with you on that. Um, I think he has a phenomenal future. Uh, I let's just think about this though. Last year, did you think he he'd have the chance to be a first rounder? I sure didn't. I thought he was a I Absolutely thought he was a three not. or four year player for sure. Like I will tell you this: I thought Daniel Tour was going to be drafted in the NBA, but not until his junior year. Like I I predicted Daniel Tour would be a third team All Big Ten player coming into this season. I thought Daniel Tour's first his first team potential would be as a junior. He is one year ahead of how good I, of where I thought he would mm-hmm. be. He's made that much progress. So I, I, I have a, I think Daniel Tour is going to have a nice opportunity in the NBA. Yeah. And, and I'll, and I'll say this, this is, this is one of the arguments that frustrates me and, and maybe I'm alone in this, but a lot of people say, well, Patino doesn't develop talent. I'm going to go ahead and argue that that's not exactly the case. I recognize that you see, he doesn't, you know, he maybe doesn't develop a bench that I could, I could see that argument, but he has developed some pretty nice players. And, and finally he's going to get a guy that's drafted. Um, but you know, that all comes to me, that all comes back to recruiting. You know, he, he's been able to get some, some top line guys, but it's just that like, he hasn't been able to get that three. Well, now I'm going to contradict myself that he, he hasn't been able to get those core guys, you know, that be, can become role players and being willing to play them as role players. And that's where he, I think that he gets, he gets himself in trouble. He gets some really high, high profile guys. Like Amir coffee is a really high profile recruit. Um, Jordan Murphy was a really high profile recruit. Daniel, Daniel true, really high profile recruit. I mean, his struggle has been just being consistent year after year after year after year. And that's what, that's the, that's the difference at like a Maryland, um, Michigan state, you know, any of these schools like that are consistently so good, they recruit year in and year out and they keep replenishing even though they lose guys. Hold on, Luke. The car in front of me just got pulled over and it scared the bejesus out of me. (laughs) You can, you know what? I, I, you can keep running with this. Right now, I'm damn near blinded by this police officer's life. So, <laughs> we slow, go on. Holy cow. Dang, but Bell Plain, Minnesota. Don't you dare drive 31 <laughs> in Bell Plain, Minnesota. Like this, <laughs> they just got pulled over. Oh. Anywho, 
Where were we at? Oh, I know where it was. So we were talking about uh, development. Yes. I am 50-50 on it. Um, Mo Walker was the first one that I will point to as, wow, they really did a nice number him with him developing him and going to him. Um, Daniel Oturu has gotten better. There are guys, Isaiah Inan this year has is much improved. There are guys that have gotten better. My thing in the Richard Pitino era is most of the guys that are in the program, you can see what their role is going to be for the next four years immediately. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Sure, I can, like, I can see that. Yeah, like Nate Mason, he was the sixth man and he had a big role, and then boom, he was in an explosive role. Gabe Telcher, day one, he's playing 35 minutes, and that's his role. They, a lot of these roles, now, Daniel Latour, they had a little bit deeper bench last year. So he was with Eric Curry on the floor. He play, didn't play quite as much. But then when you flip it on the other side, Bakari Konati, how much different was he year one than he was year four? Like yeah. he was a good low post, but, you know. But I Gaston, think, I think Gaston, Bacar- Michael Hurd, like. Like here's yeah. the thing, though. I think I think that Bakari and Gaston were recruiting misses. Like they expected more out of this. And I just I just don't know if the potential was really there. Like I know those guys no, are playing I, overseas I and low you. level low level thing, but I think I think it's either poor evaluations or like they just. I, I don't know if it's so much that they can't develop. Like when they they've gotten good guys. Like Amir Coffey was really he was a good freshman, right? But he was really good as a junior. And and I know Jordan Murphy got better year after year. I know I'm talking about the high profile guys. Who's somebody? Like yeah. Nate Mason too. I I thought he got better as years went on. He I mean he played his he played his senior year hurt. He probably should have redshirted that year. But you know you know what I'm saying. Like I I think at the end of the I day do. it's recruiting. I do, but. It's- at the same time, like what I was saying about guys, you could see him in the first year. It seems that role, like Jarvis. Yeah, Mercer. that's fair. Is Jarvis Remersa's role really probably much different now than it was when he, the first day. Michael Hurt, like some of these guys, like and then another group of them you never see because they transfer. Yeah. you know, like they, they you don't see how they become jealous and they transfer. But Jordan Murphy, he was the sixth man with with that first year crew playing a lot of minutes, and then like. You could just almost see right away what their role is going to be right away. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have – I need – what I want to see is a Damian Johnson. Yeah. Damian Johnson redshirt, then barely plays as a freshman, and then as a sophomore starts getting more time, and he develops through it. He develops every year. You could see more stages of their game taking big strides. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like – I feel like with Richard Pitino, we've seen – Guys, that guy's going to be good. I hope that guy gets better. I hope that guy gets better. I'm not sure they ever did. And we, that's what I'm trying to wait to see. Now, you could call that. You could also say, well, that's recruiting right there, Ryan. Like, they didn't get the right pieces. And, you know, maybe that is that is the case. Um, but there's something is amiss. Something is amiss because they don't have the bet that they don't have the depth that they need to make runs. And you can see it at the end of games. Mm-hmm. And it's year seven, and you have to look at Coach Pacino and say, okay, well, where is this going forward? It needs to, do be- it needs to be better next year yeah I, I think i think to my i think my final point in his inability to develop players is inability to just play them right like i i still think that michael hurt was a what re, is a really good role player on a lot of teams right and i don't think that i don't think that michael when he came in i, I didn't expect him to be a 30 minute a night guy 
but I think he was more than a 10 minute a night guy, right? Like, and, and then there were times he got so many DNPs, like I, I, for the life of me, couldn't understand. He was a, he was a good player that, you know, moved the ball. Well, he really moved the ball. Well, he took smart shots. Like he didn't force stuff. He didn't try to do something that was outside of him. He, he's a guy that they just like refused to play at times. And that to me was so head scratching. There have been other instances of that, like, in his tenure that have just been head scratching why certain guys get minutes and others don't like I I just I mean I just don't get it sometimes and that's where my frustration is too like I don't like when you have guys who are going to play 35 minutes no matter what no matter what they make mistakes no matter what and you have bench players who come on the on the floor and the second they make a mistake they're out and they think you just you can't go into games with that level of like like uncertainty. It just doesn't work confidence wise. And you're always looking over your shoulder. And that is, that has been my biggest frustration. Like, I don't, I don't want to continue to just rag on Coach Chill because there's a lot of things I think he does very well. Yeah. I think like, defensive, like, Richard, people got to understand Richard Pitino is the coach. Like, mm-hmm. scouting, the game planning, the, the defense, the schemes, that is him. And he is very good at it. Like, mm-hmm. he is very good at coaching a team and teaching them how to play team defense. If, I think where it goes wrong is how you use that bench, how you blend it in, mm-hmm. how you develop confidence in those guys that you're not allowing to make mistakes at all while your starters are allowed to make those mistakes. That's mm-hmm. where I differ in my opinion about basketball compared to what we're seeing from coach. Yeah, and, I, and I'll and i be honest. like I like a lot of the stuff he does. I think X's and O's wise, I'm with you. He's good. Um, you watch them out of timeouts, they very frequently score buckets. Yeah. Like he is really good in those situational things. Um, I think a lot of people get annoyed because when they take the ball out out of bounds, they don't really do anything. They just try to get it in safe, right? But for the most part, they are really good uh, out of out of t- out of media timeouts and then out of um, out of called timeouts. Like if there's a stoppage and they sit, they usually score. And I always I always think that that's a good sign of a good X's and O's coach. I don't have any stats on that. It, this is just me watching over the years. Um, but I'm with you. He's a good X's and as coach i think at the end of the day um as much as 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 much as we want to admit it or not it comes down to recruiting i mean people goff at the at the you know the lack of minnesota kids i think he's actually done pretty well statistically speaking with minnesota kids i know that but the problem is right now is there's such a high volume of minnesota kids that are high major guys you know one of them was the national player of the year in the acc this year um, sorry, the ACC player of the year. Like there, there are some, there are tons of good, strong Minnesota candidates, uh, to, to be high major recruits and you're not going to get all of them. I don't have the statistics, but someone was pointing me to a, a, an article that was basically saying like, in terms of the number of kids that stay home, it's about on average of what, what we see nationally. Um, but I know that Minnesotans are going to want more. Um, but at the end of the day, it's got to come down to recruiting. You can't have some of these empty, these empty scholarships. And like, I'm, I'm not trying to rag on a guy, but you know, you, you get a number of these guys that are kind of just empty scholarships and then they, and then they transfer, you know, a year or two later, like those, those have to turn into, you know, more meaningful role players that are willing to play a role. To me, you have to do a, job, a better job locally. You sure. just do. And the reason I don't think it happens is that short window, that short window versus versus long period of time recruiting. He, Coach Peel is really good when 
you, you come in in the spring and say, this is what we have to offer. This is why we want you. This is your role. Do you want it or no? Yeah. And I think in those situations, he's been good. Uh, where we're struggling is when guys, there, there's a long-term relationship that's going to have to be built where you have to be texting them regularly, talking to their parents regularly, going to their games regularly, AU in the winter, developing a relationship with them early and consistently. That's where, the, that's where it's not happening. And, mm-hmm. like, I don't agree with you in the fact that, that I think they should be doing better locally, the numbers-wise. Yeah. They've got... they've. They've missed on 18 of the last 21 offers locally, and that hurts your depth. Instead, like, because they only had one guy signed, not this fall, but the fall before. And that was Trey Williams at the last second. That's like, right. That, that, yeah, well, then you have to go get a point guard at the last second in Brian Greenlee. But what if you had gotten Trey, Tyrell Perry, who has three, four tiny little siblings that live in the Twin Cities, and he did have some interest in being here, but there was a late offer, later offer, and their relationship with their bill, that's problem. You miss that Tyrell, now you got Ryan Greenlee instead. I think you can look at their careers this year and see the difference. You know, instead of getting one of the, the bigs last year, you know, I'm not going to put it on Zeke Najee. Zeke Najee wanted to leave. Okay, I understand that. But at the same time, you tried to get David Roddy, and you, and you went after him, and you missed on him, and you go, he goes to Colorado State, and he's playing really well. That's okay, maybe, because you grabbed Isaiah Enid. Okay, that's not so bad. But then, like, Tyler I mean, Wall is playing a big role for Wisconsin. You know, you, you could go, and I'm just throwing different names here. Right. You could go down the line, and that's where the conversation is. Mm-hmm. As you continue to look at depth. The year before that, think of all the guys that, they, they, that excuse me, this year. Like, you need, you need bigs right now. And Stephen Kroll and Ben Carlson are going to yeah, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. I'm not going to Dane Dane. I'm not going to tell Dane Dane here. I don't think he's. I'm not sure that they could have got him in here. So that one does, doesn't really count. Mm-hmm. Dawson Garcia. You had Dawson Garcia down to, towards the end. You didn't get him. And those are the, that's why your depth, that's why your depth isn't developed because you didn't get local kids and a few others outside, but the local ones are the easier ones because they do have an interest, a lot of them, some of them, in staying home, but you didn't get them. So therefore you have to go out and get something else. And a lot of them are panning out. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. And I think that part of the, the struggle is, is like we're Minnesota is producing more high major players like than ever before, basically. Right. Like this is this is about as good as it's been in, in any time I can remember. But I, I didn't follow recruiting as long as you have. But, you know, I, I think statistically speaking, I think that's part of what makes it all the more hard to swallow. And in, in your I I'm you. I'm with you. The the depth thing, it, it is killing them. And I mean, they they've just made some like bad, some bad misses, right? Like taking taking Isaiah Washington over McKinley, right? That was like, oh, like honestly, you're you're right. But we have to be fair on this. Isaiah Washington, like he was a higher like rated recruit. Was, I get it. He was, and he looked good. Like he looked like a nice player. <clears throat> the the thing that everybody knew about Isaiah, though was that he was going to take some time to develop to become, to assimilate to the game. What I, what I think a lot of people didn't understand was how unwilling he yeah. was to adapt to the game. And that is where it hurt. But the problem with McKinley is, like, Isaiah, you were, he had that flair and those skills, but he didn't adapt. McKinley writes a bulldog. And, right. and so you, you took Isaiah. That's one thing. But with McKinley... You then lost a lot of guys who were connected to him. Exactly. 
and then that is where it hurts. Yeah, it's 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 you know there there are things in you know whether it's business or life or whatever there are unintended consequences and I think that one of the biggest things was missing out on McKinley Wright, um, and, and all the peripherals that would come, potentially could have come with that and and you know you're right he's a bulldog and he's just a winner I know people don't like him um, don't like him but dude Brad Davidson's a gamer he he does have some dirtiness to him but I remember watching him in that clash of classes um, I I think I watched that with you even I can't remember this is a long time ago he. Was like an eighth grader or or ninth in yep. ninth grader and they beat amir coffee's grade right like and he was so gritty and it's just like that kid's a gamer and he is to this day like you you can argue that you don't like him etc etc but that kid just plays and he is a gamer he is a gamer but i'm, I'm not with it i'm just not with it he's doing he he's a tough guy he's team basketball player you want him on the team you do but at the same time they got Gabe Kelser. I'll take Gabe Kelser oh, over Brad Davidson. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I, and and dude, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad Brad hasn't done anything crazy this year that I can think of, which is good because I still to this day cannot believe how many local people that know Brad, like that enjoy Brad, that like Brad, and I know why they do because the like he is a good kid. And probably go for fans who are like, how can you be a good person and you try to chip somebody, you run into their nut? Well. Come on, man. Like, he's a comp- he was in a competitive situation and he did some bad things. Right. But if the thing doesn't make you, it doesn't mean when you leave life, you can't be a good human being. Right, exactly. Come on. Like, yeah. that, that's, but at the same time, he did do those things. His competitive nature tried to stick his foot in under and hurt George Murphy. Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. And the nut shots, come on, man. Like, like that happened. That Those things have happened. He did do one again this year. I think it was against Iowa. Yeah, and he, like, he did get was, suspended, and rightfully so. Like, I, I'm all for that. Yeah. There's no place for it. I, I'm just saying that, like, it, it, he has a he has this competitiveness that, you know, that you want to see from a player, but he takes it too far. He does. He does take it too far. But, yes, they do need those edgy types. But we, you need an edgy type, guys. Lord Brad is good as he's edgy, and he's, in, he's a high IQ dude who competes for his team. Mm-hmm. There's sometimes you have guys who are edgy and play dumb, you know, and yeah. while he, Brad did cheap shots and hurt his team overall with every single possession, when he's playing hard, he's usually doing intelligent things on mm-hmm. the floor to help his team win. And that's why Wisconsin is a big 10 championship team again. And yeah. they're going to the NCAA tournament for the 20th time in 21 years or whatever it is. And, Minnesota missed out again. Just, just think about this though. Like Greg Gard, they lost at Minnesota, lost by eighteen. And I think the I think the presumption was that like, you know, is Greg Gard the guy? And now he's the, the Big Ten coach of the year, right? Like Wisconsin fans are all like, is this it? Is this is this what we are now post Bo Ryan? And here they are. They went eight and after that and and they and they win the Big Ten. Just like, man. And the Gophers, what, went like one and seven after that? They were both, I think they were both six and six at the time. Oh, I can't remember. My brain's not that good. I'm, I'm getting too old. They are a resilient group. They are yeah. a resilient group that plays team basketball and they play for each other. Mm-hmm. And they know how to play with each other. Unfortunately, Minnesota has not been able to consistently develop that. And like when it comes to games down the stretch, that mm-hmm. resilient group knows how to compete together and win. Yep. Minnesota's team consistently does not know how to come together consistently in the win. 
Now, now, is that because they're young? I'll tell you what, Luke. We never heard about this being a young team until recently, like yeah. recent weeks. We did hear that they were a new group, and this has got to be a new group of players that has to assimilate together. We never heard they were a young team until things got really bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about from all media sources, from Coach Patino, we didn't hear they were a young group until it got really bad. Now, are they a young group compared to where college basketball is these days? I would have to do the numbers to figure it out. Yes. Mm-hmm. They, yes, they only had one senior. Yes, they only played one junior. And then Michael Hurt was in that nine-man rotation. Sometimes he was, and they went eight. So, for the rest of those guys, okay, you had two freshmen that played, and you had four sophomores that played. Is I mean, that right? And you can and you can argue yeah. that Marcus Carr is really a junior, but yeah, I mean, and he, you know, and, and you can argue that Payne Wills is really a senior. Yeah, but in college basketball terms, I'm not buying the inexperienced stuff. I don't buy it. Either. I'm not. I'm not saying they're a veteran team. I just think they're kind of like in that just below average area. Like these guys have played a lot of basketball. They're, you know, they're talented. To me, I'm not with that. They're young. To me, I'm with, I understand that they, they would be better with another year of experience, but I'm not buying the thing that they're young. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know what else we were going to talk about. Cause we went on just a million tangents and it was really fun. Oh yeah. Um, but <laughs> di- I don't know what we, what we didn't cover. So maybe we'll have to do this again. All I know is you've got stuff on lockdown and go for illustrated.com and you got the big, I know you got the, uh, um, you're covering stuff on prep hoops as well. And you've got the state tournament coming up. That's kind of your bread and butter. Um, so people got to check out your work there. It is really good. Um, anything else, any parting words before we go? For us, this was like the family that has a bunch of fireworks, but only could light them off on the 4th of July. <laughs> like me and you haven't talked forever. Yes. So we're like getting together. And it's just like, let's unload everything we got at once. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so we did. But the bottom line, man, they, it's, I'm worried because if there isn't something to get people excited next year, in addition to what's coming back, like, a recruit or Daniel coming home, coming back for a year. I'm worried mm-hmm. that these fans are not going to be excited next year. That's what happens when you've missed on the NCAA tournament five of the last seven years. And like, they have to do something to make another step next year. So me and you can have more fun conversations <laughs> about winning rather than being 14 and 16 and missing the tournament and maybe not playing in anything postseason. You know, we tend to podcast a lot more when they're not good, so maybe this is just like they're going to be not good for a while and we're just going to record a lot. I don't know. But um, do want to thank everybody for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, sorry for the long hiatus. We'll try and do, we'll try and do this more often in the future. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, and go Gophers.